0: Well, what is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. And, of course, you're looking good. Uh, We're all video at all campuses today because I'm actually uh, preaching at our Monterey, Mexico campus. And, oh, man, I can't wait for you guys to see uh, just this this campus we have we 've got teams coming down in a couple weeks and and hey, you can still be a part of some of these future trips and so uh, but again, if we haven 't met yet i 'm pastor Peter Haas, and of course i 'm so pumped that you 're here I, I just uh, many of you guys know that I, I grew up in a very uh, traditional liturgical Lutheran church you know uh, with the organ and and you know like when I was a kid, a lot of the the rituals were completely lost on me I, I actually in some ways i don't know why this is probably just me, but i I actually thought the whole point was the ritual like I didn't realize that God actually truly wanted to interact with me. I thought He wanted me to do a ritual, you know what I'm saying, and my parents didn't teach that it was just something that i I kind of just learned all of my own weirdness, right? But I, I I just thought, you know, if you take communion, you keep the big man upstairs happy and hopefully one day he'll, you know, let you into the good place. You know what I'm saying? I thought that was kind of how it worked, right? And and uh, but you know when I when I realized later on that God still wants to do miracles in people's lives. When I it was almost like like real miracles or you know, yeah, real miracles, right? When I realized that angels and demons were in fact real and messing with people's lives. And that prayer 100% matters. It was like, it was like another revelation. And then when I realized that God actually wanted to speak to us regularly, prophetically, again, speak to us through his word, it was like, again, and even to this day, it kind of blows my mind that God would want to have a relationship with us and that he would want us to live life to the fullest in every area of our lives. And And I think about all the miracles that God has done in my personal life over the years. And anybody that knows Carolyn and I knows that uh, we've got endless miracle stories. And yet, despite all he's done, I know for a fact he's just getting started with me. And the same is true with you. I, I just, but to get us there, we have to kind of relearn some things about how God wants us to relate to him, and that's why we study the Bible every single week, is that, is that there's, all, there's a part of us that intuitively is off, and so God wants to kind of dial it in, and I can promise you through the passage today that we're about to study God is gonna do that, and so it's just so thrilling to be able to, to share God's word. And that one of the passages that I wanna recap today is Judges chapter 20. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, in, the, in the book of Judges, God had told the children of Israel to fight the, the tribe of Benjamin, which was kind of a weird thing uh, because they were one of the, the tribes and, and it was almost like a civil war, but this tribe had turned into a pretty wicked group of people over time and God knew that they were gonna bring destruction upon the entire region. And so the Bible says that the other tribes asked, God, should we go now? Should we go up against this tribe? And God said, yes. And well, which tribe? Send the tribe of Judah, okay? So, uh, but it's one of those weird stories where uh, when they went up to go do battle, it did not end well. It was one of those stories where God's people went up to fight these wicked Benjaminites and and boom, they lost 22,000 men in battle. It was kinda like, huh, like what? I thought, God, you, I thought you were in this, you know? I thought that was the pattern, is you you tell us to do something, we obey, and then it's like wild success, and and this is the opposite of this. And, and so they were so confounded, they are like, I, we know our cause is righteous, we know that we're on the side of righteousness, We, and they knew that this was the right thing to do, and so they were like, well, well maybe then we just need to persevere, right? Let's go up the next day and try it again. And sure enough, the next day, They lost again, 18,000 more people died the next day, 40,000 people. Well, as you'd imagine, they just, God's people fell into despair, and I don't blame them. They were probably like, what is going on? God, we're trying to obey you. And finally, someone comes up with the great idea. You know, guys, maybe we didn't spend enough time in prayer and fasting, What, what do you mean? Like, oh, you're right, we never did. We never prayed, we never fasted. What if, what if, God had a lot more to say to us than we realized. What if we weren't actually listening to God? Maybe we need to humble ourselves. And they they assumed that just because their cause was just that all of a sudden their strategy was smart. And so sure enough, the leaders went up to the house of God at Bethel. They proclaimed a fast, okay? And I, I wanna, especially as we're coming out of this big church-wide fast, I want you just to get one last little bit of inspiration about what fasting does when we do it they they proclaimed a fast from morning till night and check this out okay judges 20 verse 26 it's it says then all the Israelites all the Israelites so they decided let's actually all go in let's get into unity about this then all the Israelites and what is this word right here the whole army went up to Bethel, okay, the house of God, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. Whenever you did a fellowship offering, it would always become a meal, like a small group meal afterwards, okay? So they broke the fast by doing uh, uh, fellowship offerings and then, you know, eating together to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. Now, that's kind of a, a fancy little word, but you're going to see that expression all throughout the Old Testament. They inquired of the Lord. Now, I'm going to unpack what that actually means in a second, but it, it's, a, it's a very specific process it, it, that they participated in okay and in those days the Ark of the Covenant of God remember the you know Raiders of the Lost Ark Indiana Jones okay in those days the Ark of the Covenant of God was there with Phineas son of Eleazar the son of Aaron Now that is a very important detail to point out there Phineas there's a great name for all of you people that are pregnant today so uh, with Phineas son of Eleazar now I didn't I didn't know who Phineas was when I read this and it caused me to misinterpret the passage for a season. But once I studied him, you're going to see it's really profound. So Phineas is there ministering before it. They asked, shall we go up again to fight against the Benjaminites, our fellow Israelites, or not? And the Lord responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Now, think about this situation, okay? So it's very specific. Tomorrow I want you to do it. Now, I I just... When I first read this before I knew who Phineas was, I used to think, wow, God, why are you making it so hard for your people to know your will? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, but the moment I learned more about Phineas, the more I realized, oh, God was actually not making it hard at all. In fact, God's people had everything they needed to avoid this situation. They had every tool at their dispense to actually know what God's will was and avoid the situation that they found themselves in because here's why. Phineas, the high priest, possessed a tool called the Urim and the tumim at that time, like it's spelled U-R-I-M and then Tumim is T-H-U-M-M-I-M, obviously they're Hebrew words transliterated into English, Urim and Tumim, and and if you're out there and you're like, well, what was the Urim and Tumim, and why did Phineas have them? Well, in in some ways I could maybe describe it, have you ever seen those toy magic eight balls, you know, ask again later, or the answers point to yes, have you ever seen those little floating dice in the, okay, 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 it was kind of like a magic eight ball but 10 times cooler and it was actually ordained by God in those days. Okay. So now just uh, just stick with me a little bit cuz I'm going to actually unpack this a little bit. Whenever people would inquire of the Lord, they needed that Urim and tumim, okay? Now, this is just a, you know, a depiction of the high priest. Now, The high priest of Israel, the one who was supposed to do the inquiring of the Lord, uh, he had this sweet vest that was called the ephod. Okay, so now uh, if you don't know what the it was kind of like a breastplate that had like chains. It was made out of metal and it had these you know had these gems in it. Okay, so these these they had all these gems across the front of it, which were really specific. Okay, and then the Bible describes that there were these two. Extra rocks, the urim vetumim, that would either hang from a rock and or put in a, a little. Uh, Pouch underneath over the the high priest's heart. Okay, so he has the twelve, he has the twelve stones on the breastplate, the ephod, and then along with the ephod came this little pouch with the urim and the tumim on the inside. Okay, now uh, the 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 word urim in Hebrew actually means lights or revelation. It means kind of illumination is is maybe the gist of the word, but it, it could also mean lights. It, and of course, it's it's so. Urim means lights or, or revelation, okay? And then tumim actually means perfection, or another maybe translation would be innocence. Uh, and, and so now there's dozens of theories about uh, how they use the urim and tumim. Again, scholars actually are divided on this. In fact, I, uh, in terms of how these, these things were used uh, to discern things. Now, I, I, I wrote a blog about it at peterhaas.org in case you're curious about all the different theories about how they worked, but uh, the most likely, in my opinion, was that whenever they had a yes/no question for the Lord, they would use the urim to ask, you know, illuminate the path, yes or no, right? So they used the urim, and whenever they had a guilty/innocent question, like who is the who is the guilty offender, they would use the tumim to make that make that query. And all of a sudden, when they would inquire of the Lord, one of the, the rock would light up. Okay, whichever the answer was, it would light up supernaturally, it would glow, okay? So now, what's, what's interesting about this, and there's a lot of different theories about how this worked, okay? Uh, science actually discovered something pretty crazy about the ephod uh, that I, I partially mentioned a little bit this last Easter, okay? So back in 1912, this is the coolest thing ever, ah! I love the Bible, okay? Back in 1912, there was this German physicist by the name of Max von Lauer who discovered something called cross-polarized light. Okay, So he was doing all these experiments, which is basically the closest thing that we have to pure light, Okay, man-made fabricated pure light. And this discovery of cross-polarized light led to all sorts of weird breakthroughs in, in mineralogy, the study of crystals. And because scientists found out that when you would blast rocks with this cross-polarized light, all of a sudden, some of them would just glow, uh, revealing all sorts of colors that we didn't even know were inside of these rocks. It was almost like they were like these glow-in-the-dark rocks that we didn't even know could do that until they were blasted with cross-polarized lights. It was almost like you could light them up like Christmas lights, and it's, it, but we never knew it before, okay? So, uh, for example, um, what's interesting about all these, if you look at these rocks in just normal daylight, they're dark, Okay, they look like just flat-colored rocks with a slight tint. But then the moment you blast them with cross-polarized light, it's just like pop. They just they they do this weird thing where they light up. Okay, so um, as a result, you could uh, you could imagine that geologists were like, "Wow, we've never even knew this before about all these minerals." And so that what they did was they expanded two huge categories of rocks called anisotropic rocks, which are minerals that glow under pure light, uh, versus isotropic uh, rocks, minerals that do not glow under pure light, which is kind of interesting because, you know, it it almost maybe caused some people to change the value of rocks. Diamonds are, are, they don't light up. And it's interesting, okay? And there's, there's, that's another really fascinating Bible study that I can't wait to give to you someday. But uh, what's fascinating about all of this is so, so when, when scientists were figuring this out, they're like, wow, it's like this whole new world of, of minerals. Well, one of these scientists who was studying this happened to be reading his Bible, the part where God dictated to Moses the exact minerals he wanted in the ephod. And and you can actually read it yourself in Exodus 28. And he found that the 12 specific gemstones that God wanted Moses to put in the ephod, when he saw them, he started freaking out. Because all 12 of the rocks that God dictated to Moses were anisotropic. They were rocks that glowed in the presence of pure light. Okay? I mean, come on. This, God made the first LED wall, people. <laughs> If you're wondering if he likes it, he did it. Come on, I'm just saying. I'm just. This is a God who loves to light things up, and I'm. And, and so, but this was not, you know. And of course, we we believe that our God is light. First John one five. Okay, let's who he is. He is light, and in his presence. It changes things, these rocks would light up, okay? So when his presence was on the high priest, guess what, I'm talking disco party, you know what I'm saying? It was awesome, right? He's the father of lights, James 1, says, okay? And all throughout history, I point this out because all throughout history, you know, a lot of skeptics would make fun of the Bible, there's no way God would light up a stone like a Urim, you know, and suddenly everybody's like, oh, I guess God is scientific, you know what I'm saying? Like, But you know what, that's not even what caused the scientists to freak out, okay? What actually caused that scientist to freak out, what confounded him most was, how in the world did these ancient Near Eastern cultures figure out all the anisotropic stones and put them in the ephod because he's starting with the assumption there's no way God actually spoke to him. I think they just kind of stumbled upon it thought they were cool rocks and made it a part of their religion. And, and, and Because he kept thinking, I mean, again, for most of human history, we didn't even know these types of stones existed. I mean, this is thousands of years before mankind learned about cross-polarized light and started blasting things with it, which made me wonder how many you know, fruits and vegetables they blasted with it or... You know, how many times, how many things did they blast with this light, you know, before they figured out what glowed and what didn't? But I I just, you know, but the the scientists knew there's no way that, that Moses could have picked these 12 stones without some sort of divine revelation. I mean, even today, if you took like the 28 gemstones that are considered popular... Only about maybe 16 of them are anisotropic, and so if you do the math, you know, the odds of a person um, randomly guessing all 12, if, you know, picking all 12 at random would be at best one in 5,149, and based on the, the gemstones that they had in those days, it would have been more in the one out of 15,000 range, you know, the odds of a person randomly picking all 12 anisotropic stones, which indicated, gosh, there had to have been some th- something divine about this, this vest, right, this ephod. I'm just, and, and of course, I'm, I'm just saying, hey, you guys, I'm just saying, what if the Bible's true, right? There are all sorts of hidden gems in the Bible. See what I did there? You like that? Okay. No, for real though, you guys, I I share all this because what's interesting about the ephod is that later on in Israel's history, when King Saul was actually living in disobedience, so fast forward in history, King Saul also had a high priest who also had the ephod with the Urim and Tumim, and... uh, And yet he was totally in defiance of God. He was not obeying God whatsoever. But he still tried. I don't even know what he was thinking. He still tried inquiring of the Lord using the Urim and the Tumim. And of course, look what happened. It says, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. What does that mean that he did not answer him? It means the Urim did not light up. Okay, a lot of people thought the Urim was, uh, you know, a white stone and the Tumim was a black stone and it was just a binary thing and he would just pull a rock out and that was their answer, like dice. Uh, but we know that there was a supernatural component to it because it, it sometimes didn't work, okay? So, uh, you know, the, the point is that when the presence of God was not in his life, he was not getting any illumination. He was not able to experience integrity or illumination. You see, and if you're out there and you're like, you're like, well, where are the Urim and Tumim today? Because somebody got to call Indiana Jones, man. We got to find these things. These are cool, right? I mean, like, well, according to the Bible, if you want to know where they are, they're on, they're on Jesus, okay? Because he, he, they belong exclusively to the high priest, and who is that? The Bible says it's Jesus. Jesus is now our great high priest. Uh, Hebrews four fourteen, and he is the light. Okay, John 1, 9, the Urim, and he is our perfection. Hebrews 4, 15, the Tumim. He's become the embodiment of these principles, okay? And and, and now, I, I say all this, quick little side note. If you Google Urim and Tumim today, you're going to find all sorts of strange, unbiblical things about them. And part of that is because uh, you may not even know this, but the Mormon religion actually believes that their founder, uh, Joseph Smith, actually rediscovered them, uh, believe it or not. In fact, they actually believe that this device was somehow at the, f- the foundation of a new religion. And uh, so if you study Mormonism, Latter-day Saints, they actually believe that, that Joseph Smith, back in the 1800s, rediscovered the Urim and Tumim in New York, and uh, after discovering the, this, you know, ancient device, kind of Indiana Jones-like in New York State, uh, they happened to be built into a pair of glasses. Uh, and I like glasses too, you know what I'm saying? I, but he, he said they were built into a pair of glasses and they came along with these interesting plates and when he put on these glasses, he was able to read a foreign language and that's where the Book of Mormon came from. And then the moment he was done, an angel came and took them all away. And so he's never been able to show them to anybody, but this is what the, you know, the the manuscript said. Okay, now a lot of people don't realize that's actually kind of how uh, Mormonism came to be. A lot of people think it's a denomination of Christianity. It's, It's very much a different religion with another holy book to it. Now, obviously, as Christians, we don't believe that because we believe that Jesus is the one and only high priest from now into eternity, and there's none that can come after Hebrews 7.24, okay? And nobody else is even capable of using the Urim and Tumim. So in some ways, it's kind of a moot point about, you know, where are you know, we don't need to call Indiana Jones, we don't need to search for the lost artifacts uh, because God has actually given us his spirit to illuminate him through his word. Okay, so in other words, God has actually given us. We have the prophetic, we have his word, and, and uh, we have mentoring. Okay, so we have you know godly Christians that we can surround ourselves with. Which I've preached many many messages on how to discern the will of the Lord. But I say all this to say there's there's all this non biblical stuff about the urim and Tumim that that can confuse people if you're not aware. Okay, so when I talk about it, I'm I'm talking exclusively from the biblical sense now. Now, but here's here's the catch. Now, why am I sharing all of this today? Then why why does it matter to hear about this ancient device? Well, there's all sorts of Old Testament passages where if you don't understand how the Urim and the Tumim functioned, you're you're gonna misinterpret God in that passage. You're not gonna understand the moral of the passage. You'll end up missing out on some of it, which brings us back to Judges 20, the story we started with. If you read Judges 20, right? where the 40,000 Israelites died because they, you know, they didn't understand, you know, how to discern the will of the Lord. It you know, it almost looks like God was being kind of grumpy, mystical and mean, uh, but again, they had a super clear tool to get super clear answers from the Lord that they never bothered to ask God the questions, okay? So uh, again, so after they declared their prayer and their fasting, they got the high priest back, they who clearly had the 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 Urim and the Tumim, they inquired of the Lord, the Bible says, and it says in Judges 20, 28, it implied they, they, when they sought the Lord, they asked a follow-up question, which is, okay, maybe the magic question that we should have asked was, when, when should we go, right? The Lord responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. Now, the, the reason why that's, that, that matters is, after they declared the fast, after they sought the Lord, they actually got the specific strategy. And of course, that very next day, they had overwhelming victory. It was suddenly a day of victory. Now, the reason why that's so important is because that story resonated in the hearts of kings for the whole rest of Israelite history, or at least hopefully resided in their hearts. In fact, that's why King David knew that story so well that he was obsessed with the ephod. Every time he made a decision, where's the ephod? Bring the high priest and the ephod. Let's get the Urim and Tumim into this thing and let's figure this out. He was constantly saying, bring me the ephod. In fact, when when, when he got the ephod, the Urim and the Tumim with it, David asked, you know, constantly, he asked about the Philistines. Let me just point out one more passage where this is used, okay? 2 Samuel 5.23, David, he he. He was asking about the Philistines, how to attack the Philistines, because he knew God was calling them to do it, but he wanted the strategy. And listen to what, listen to the response that God gives him in 2 Samuel 5.23. Do not go straight up to attack the Philistines, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistines. It's very specific. Would you not say? a lot more detailed than maybe the previous passage we just read, okay? So now, a lot of, so now, when you read this, you gotta think of it through the filter of the urim and the tumim, okay? I mean, think about how many yes, no questions it took to get this much detail. Okay, I mean, really, if you were to understand through that filter, David and the high priest were locked up in some room for I don't know how long, you know what I'm saying? Like, and think about how many yes, no questions they had to ask God. David is like, okay, do we go straight up or do we go from the side? Do we go straight up? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. do we attack from the side? No, no, we do circle around. Do we circle around? Yes. Do we go behind them or in front of them? Behind them? Yes. Okay. 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 So write that down. We're going to, don't go straight up, but circle around, go behind them. And then, and then, okay. So, so God, okay. Based on the map, there are a lot of different trees. Okay. So do we attack in front of the cedar trees? No. How about the palm trees? No. How about the pomegranates? No, no, no. The poplars? Yes. Yes. Okay. Write that down. So we, in front of the poplar trees. Okay. When, when do we do it? Okay. Do you, My point in doing all of this is that inquiring of the Lord to get this level of strategy implies they really spent a lot of time seeking the Lord. This was not a casual thing. This was not a five-minute thing. This was not some, you know, oh, let's do a quick little ritual, hope God blesses our plans, and then run. This was take your time. Get insight. It required more than one person in the presence of God, it required a process. Really, the Bible, when you read this, it shows something about David and his high priest, that they truly, truly, they cared about the Lord's opinion. I mean, he must have taken hours to get that level of strategy. But why, why would he do that? Well, because he did not want to repeat the unnecessary death of Judges chapter 20. And I, I bring this up because I think all of us in our lives, We like to try to figure out, God, what is your will, and we we like God to kind of bless our good intentions, but listen, there's so much more intimacy that God wants to have with us than a lot of us realize, and as a result, we experience unnecessary death. You know what unnecessary death is? It's any form of unnecessary pain in our lives that God never intended you to experience. And I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, I have volunteered for a lot of unnecessary pain. And maybe you have too. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, that is the story of my year, unnecessary pain. Well, listen, I think that the morals of this story are actually quite obvious. And here's a couple little takeaways that you and I can get from all of these stories. First off, God wants to speak to you more than you realize, but are you listening? It's really that simple. God actually wants to confide in those who fear him, Psalm 25. He's longing to give wisdom, James 1.5, to anyone who asks. Do you know what I'm saying? Call to me and I will tell you great and unsearchable things, Jeremiah 33.3. There's so many scriptures that all say God wants to speak, but I I think we underestimate just how much he wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. Let Let me unpack it. He wants to speak to your marriage. He wants to speak to your physical body. He wants to speak about your parenting. He wants to speak about your finances. He wants to speak about your house. He wants to speak about your co-workers, about your boss, about your strange uncle. He wants to speak to you about your shoes. He wants. I believe that God wants way more intimacy with us than we realize. But the problem is, is we think that God is just a God of ritual and that he just wants us to, you know, check do a little ritual checklist. No, he wants friendship. That's why he redeemed us and called us, because he also wants to give us supernatural advantages in living life, life to the fullest. But well, how do we hear God's voice? Well, I've said it a hundred times over this last year by diving into God's word, by, by interacting with intimately with God's people, and by interacting with God's Spirit. If you have an adequate amount of God's word, God's people, and God's spirit, and you need all three, all of us tend to prefer one to the exclusion of the others, right? Some of you are like, I don't do people. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm introverted. Okay, well, you have to, according to the Bible, right? And and others of you are like, I do people, but I just don't read my Bible. I'm kind of ADHD. I get it. I understand. Listen, you need all three. Or maybe some of you are like, well, I'm an intellectual and I like to read my Bible, but I don't like that mystical thing. No, you need God's spirit too. Okay, so you need an intersection of all Three, and when you have these, if you're missing out on any one of these things, you're gonna also miss out on some of the insights that the Lord has for you. I cannot tell you how many times I've asked God for wisdom and I've sought him through prayer and fasting. I got wise counsel from mentors and then, you know, just read a lot of scripture and boom, out of nowhere, God gives me like some divine insight. I stumble upon a book I never would have found. I can look back on my life and think about hundreds of times where there's no way that would have naturally came about Uh, without some sort of supernatural revelation. And and I'm gonna share one of those stories. I'm gonna end with one of those stories today. Uh, But another moral I wanna point out real quick that we can take away from these texts is this. Never go into a major decision without fasting and inquiring of the Lord. If you have a big decision in your life about where to move, um, what to do vocationally, who to marry—these types of bigger decisions—never go into a major decision without fasting and inquiring of the Lord. And what do I mean by fasting and inquiring of the Lord? Fast, just. Do the, do the process that we've been talking about throughout this whole fast, is, is learn, learn the discipline that allows you to pay more attention to your spirit, and then get lots of Bible, get lots of mentoring, and spend lots of time in prayer. You see, it's God wants to speak to you. And then, of course, the third thing that God, uh, the take away is even when we know something is God's heart, it doesn't mean we know God's strategy, even when we know something is God's heart, it doesn't mean we know God's strategy. A lot of times people think that just because you know the truth that it entitles you to speak it. No, it does not. Okay? Having the truth does not mean you wield the truth well. Okay? That you have to learn how to earn the right to share the truth. It's, people, truth all by itself actually results in, in, in anger from other people Romans 7 teaches it actually causes rebellion if you don't share it in a very particular way just because you know something is god's heart doesn't mean he's automatically going to bless it he's he's got clarity for you okay so you can know deep down in your heart it's time to get married right you're ready <laughs> and then you get mentors and they're like well I want you to take care of this first you know what i'm saying like uh, or or you know it's time to expand your business right you you or any, any of these types of big decisions, just because you know, you know, God's ultimate will, yeah, eventually God does want you to get married. But you know what? He wants you to take care of your porn addiction first. He wants you to, you know, pay off some of that debt first. He wants you to, you know what I mean? Like you can know, hey, long term, this is what God wants. But there's these short term strategies that a lot of times we ignore and we think they don't matter, but they do. Okay and and for you and I the solution might seem obvious but if we aren't yielding every part of our lives to the Lord by inquiring of him we're going to experience unnecessary death which is you know in other words you're going to grow your business but it's going to be painful right you're going to still mature your family but it's going to be painful you might still accomplish your goals but man there's going to be death and some of you you know firsthand what that feels like here's the truth loved ones Pain is not an option, but you get to choose what type of pain. And that's the good news today. It's either the pain of humility through fasting or the pain of humiliation through mistakes. And a lot of us, we're we're choosing the pain of humiliation and regret rather than the pain of humility and prevention. And, and, And I get it. I like food too, you know. But man, you know what I like even more than food? The will of the Lord. To know that I am walking in the plan of God, and that I got I got every little bit of strategy that He has for my life, and I want to I want to sh- end with one last story of where. Where I didn't really seek the Lord, um, you know. Earlier this year, my wife uh, shared the story about how this last year we bought a new house. I, I wanted to kind of share the story from a different angle, because uh, a little bit more personal angle. Because in some ways, it was kind of a moral tale for me, where the Lord reminded me of the very lesson that I am talking to you about. Uh, for example, many of you guys know that that. That pastors in in America they get special tax benefits on their houses, and of course my financial advisor was telling me, hey Peter, if you stay in your your current house, you're going to be losing an extra ten to fifteen grand a year on taxes, and so you may want to consider a move, or maybe just consider how you might change the way you do your mortgage. And of course I at the time I happened to know that my neighborhood was peaking, and in the natural I thought you know what it kind of makes sense to move right now. It makes sense to to sell our house. Maybe I maybe I could sell. At a high, and 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 get into a new house right before the interest late rates jumped, and so you know, and I knew long term God had a different house for us, but I, I just I thought, hey, maybe this is that moment, and so I found a house. It looked so amazing, and it was one of a kind house, the kind of the house that I had been dreaming of, and 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 so you know, we negotiated the price down like a pro. Sure enough, the the the, the homeowners they accepted, and of course, you know, I get the phone call that they accepted. Carolyn and I were like celebrating, like whoa it's going to happen. We're going to get a new house. And we were dreaming, we were planning. And all of a sudden I get this super weird, ominous voicemail from one of my pastor friends. Um, One of my pastor friends in Calgary is, you know, he's, he's really got a strong prophetic gift. And, and uh, he just, he left this voicemail and he goes, he's like, Peter, I know this is going to sound really intense, but I just woke up this morning and I just felt this massive urgency to be praying for you. And, uh, and, and just, it was just this, like, you've got to share this with Peter. And, and then he just kept going. He's like, it, it, and he said, in my heart, the Lord just said, Peter, you made a decision today that seemed simple, but it's actually going to cost you years of your life. It's going to cost you a lot of money, and there's deception involved, and um, the Lord said it was just like the story of Joshua in uh, uh, in Joshua 9, where the Gibeonites deceived Joshua into a treaty, and it's a story, guess what, where they did not inquire of the Lord. They did not use the Urim and the Tumim in order to make the decision, okay? So just I'm, I'm pointing that out as a, like a little side note. It was, it was one of the earlier cautionary tales, even before Joshua judges so judges wasn't judges 20 was not the first time they learned this lesson okay so and he goes it was just like Joshua 9 where they tricked Joshua into a treaty because he failed to inquire of the lord and and yet i'm calling you because god spoke to my heart very clearly peter if you ask me for wisdom i'll show you how to get out of it if you ask me for wisdom i'll show you how to get out of it and of course immediately i'm like You know, I went from celebrating to like total conspiracy, you know, like paranoid, like what is going on? I played it again for Carolyn and I'm like, what other decision have we made other than the house? I mean, this is literally the only decision that we have made of any importance in the last like three weeks. I mean, there's no other decision that this could possibly refer to. I mean, it has to be the house. And then it was like, who? you know, who are the Gibeonites? You know what I'm saying? It was like, I was totally paranoid, right? And listen, if I could be fully honest with you guys, just vulnerable, I do believe that, God did want us to move. I do believe it was a good financial decision, but I never asked God if that house was the house. It was the specifics. I didn't even think about it. I just think, I just thought, well, I like it. You know what I mean? And uh, and so finally, I, I like after that word, I was like, let's call every mentor and revisit every decision that brought us to this place, right? So I called all of my mentors. I, I even, like all my nerdy financial mentors, we redid all the math. I prayed like crazy. I paid for every weird inspector a person could hire for a house, right? Because the inspection was coming up in three days. And, uh, and sure enough, guess what the inspectors found? All sorts of catastrophic problems after catastrophic problems. Problems to the point that would have cost us easily several hundred thousand dollars to remediate had we actually gone through with the purchase of the house. Even more, we, in the process, uncovered potential evidence of deception. Thankfully, there was a legal way for us to get out of that contract, and and, and that's what we did. And so, you know, now I'm feeling, so we got out, but now I'm feeling doubly stupid, because now I'm going to be homeless in a few weeks, because I just sold my house. You know what I'm saying? And I couldn't find anything remotely similar to this new you know, house. I couldn't even find an apartment to rent from my family. And of course, Carolyn is looking at me like, what did you do? Uh, no, but I, I, and i 'm even going through the math and the costs of storage from moving twice would have eaten up any savings I you know would have saved by making the move. I kept thinking what was I thinking and let me just tell you, church, I prayed a lot in that season, right I mean every night for about two months straight, I was up sweating and praying. Lord help me out here and i 'm you know I spend an hour looking at houses and two hours in prayer, kind of thing you know what i 'm saying and And of course, you know, the end of the story, boom, God, out of nowhere, a house came up on the market for an incredible price, and it was exactly what we were looking for, and that ended up being the one. God worked out all the details and blessed us all the way through, and now it's a big happy ending, but let me tell you, there were some unnecessary, painful moments that I embraced in my life because I did not inquire of the Lord. Thankfully, I happen to have some prophetic people in my life who are able to call and warn me, okay? Now, as much as I don't like sometimes prophetic people can be very irritating, (laughs) okay? Uh, But I'm actually quite grateful there are a lot of people in our church that know how to hear from the voice of the Lord. And I would say don't just listen to anybody who calls themselves prophetic, okay? Because there is prophetic and then there is prosthetic and then there is pathetic, And there are a lot of people that like to think that they are prophetic, but in reality, they're not, okay? So you gotta ground yourself in scripture, solid mentoring as well, but I I just, I thank God for the people that I have in my life because, man, it makes decisions a lot easier uh, when I do this, but I'm saying all of this. Let me just recap it like this, okay? God wants to speak to you more than you realize, but here's the million dollar question, are you listening? Number two. Never go into a major decision without fasting. Inquire of the Lord and fast. Do the preventative humiliation so that, or humility now so you don't experience the the regret and humiliation later. And number three, even when we do know something is God's heart, it doesn't mean we know God's strategy. Get his strategy. His strategy for you is a lot more sophisticated and a lot more detailed. And I'm telling you, over time, when you live out the call of God like this, you're going to look back and other people are going to look back on your life and they're going to say, there is no way you are smart enough to live the life that you are living. There is no way you are gifted enough to live with the favor that you've got. There is no way you are a good enough parent to have done, you know, produced such kids. You know what I'm saying? I believe that God wants to bless you with favor, but where does it come? It comes supernaturally when you and I live a lifestyle that is truly surrendered to the Lord. And maybe you're here and you're newer to this whole God thing. Maybe all this is kind of foreign. Hey, all I'm saying is just take a step deeper. Maybe for some of you, it just means read your Bible a little bit more. Just two minutes a day. Start the habit after two months. Bump it up to four minutes. And then after, you know, another two months, bump it up to six minutes. You know what I'm saying? Just start with small habits of learning how to listen to the Lord. And I'm telling you, the dividends will cascade into your life, your physical body, your kids, your coworkers. And someday you're going to thank me for every little nudge that I gave you towards inquiring of the Lord. And so I'll tell you what. Let me just end by doing just that. Let's inquire of the Lord together, and I'm telling you, church, God is gonna show up where you need it most. Heavenly Father, you know we all have decisions we gotta make, and you know we're all just trying to fumble through this life, and and we don't have what it takes to figure it out on our own. That's why you sent your Son to uh, die for us, and you sent your Spirit to live inside of us, to speak to us, and I pray that we would receive your spirit once again today, that we would just uh, let your word illuminate our path, let your spirit clarify the details and just speak to us, God, whether that's physical bodies, whether if that's workplace decisions, whether that's just tough family circumstances, God, I just pray that your wisdom would be made manifest where we need it most. And, And church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just pray this after me. Say this, say, dear Jesus, Forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With all that, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. I love you guys, we'll see you next week.